This is episode 238 of IDRA Class Notes. The Texas Capitol, it's, it's really amazing. And for me, working in the building, it was really powerful. I enjoyed meeting everyone that I worked with and I learned from. I also really learned the importance of finding allies within the policy space, building coalitions and forming partnerships with like-minded people and organizations. It proved to be instrumental in advancing our shared goals. I think together we were able to navigate the complexities in the political landscape and foster change more effectively. Hello, welcome to the Class Notes podcast series featuring reflections from our IDRA Education Policy Fellows. My name is Michaela Arciaga. I am IDRA's Georgia Director of Advocacy, and I also have the pleasure of coordinating our policy fellowship. In this topic, we will be talking about the fellowship and how our fellows will be using their experiences in their next big adventures. Our first question is kind of going to be around Robin, and we're going to get feedback from everyone, but why did you apply for IDRA's Education Policy Fellows Fellowship Program? And tough if we could start with you. Hello, everyone. So for me, I honestly want to dig into the mind of Morgan Craven and Paige Duggan's play. They have such a wealth of knowledge on the School of the Pipeline, and I'm really interested in the pipeline. So working close with them, I thought like it would help me to get closer to my goal, and it also helped me to bridge the gap of my understanding of policy, advocacy, and the ledge, and what it's like to be and work in, as the legislator on a policy and advocacy landscape. Also, IGRA has an amazing drop off adventure program and they use active based language. And I really wanted to tap in on that and be a part of that work. Yeah, I love that. We have I feel like the access to some of the experts on this work is one of the best things about this. And we do have so many different experts with different expertise. Deanna, what was your motivation for this? Yeah, so I knew of IDRA a couple of years before I applied. I joined y'all's email list and I saw the incredible work that everyone on the team was putting together. When this opportunity popped up, I just knew that I wanted to get that legislative experience that is so, so critical as an advocate in policy. And I was just interested and curious in learning how the legislative process works. And I also knew that working with IDRA would be a wonderful experience because the organization is comprised of are composed of incredible people that generally care about education and children. So what a what a good opportunity. And then Steve, if you'll kind of wrap up the Texas side, why did you apply? Yeah, I just want to um, echo what, what all everyone has said. Um, I think for me, what I loved about Pariari in particular was just how intentional they seem to be about advancing education equity for all students in public schools kind of saw everyone's background and saw the different aspects within which everyone was sort of approaching at work, I thought that it was a no-brainer for me coming from the education space, the teaching space, and just the access and moving things forward for those that deserve it the most. Thank you so much. And I think it's important to note, for those who are familiar, I'm sure you know that the IDRA has a long history in Texas, but we have a much newer history in Georgia. And so, and this is our first year 
bringing a, a multi-person cohort with Georgia and running the cohort in Texas and in Georgia at the same time. And so I want to also hear from our, our Georgia fellows, why did you decide, Jonathan, to apply for the Education Policy Fellowship? Last year, as I was trying to figure out just next moves after doing just independent consulting and like education, just running a couple different youth programs, I was looking for just, you know, a next step in my career. And I noticed that IDRA was this new organization that I had never heard about in Georgia, like in the nonprofit space. And it was the first organization I saw that was kind of really just grounded in in education, justice and policy. And so I, I come from like curriculum and teaching and organizing, but everything that IDRA does around culturally sustaining teaching and ethnic studies education, bilingual education resonated with all of my interests. And it was really exciting to see. And I wasn't necessarily excited about policy per se. And that's what the fellowship was about. But I liked that IDRA had all of these robust programs that put, you know, theory and curriculum and best practices into action through their many programs, as well as doing the policy fight. And so just kind of like putting my antennas out there, I managed to hear from Chloe, who worked for IDRA, who I had met in a previous fellowship. And she really affirmed that, you know, this is like a very woman of color, people of color led space that does some of the most innovative and necessary like education justice work. And so it felt appropriate. It felt right. And I submitted my application and the rest is history. And how about you, Ruth? You are also from Georgia and we were somewhat familiar because you did some some work in the same area before the fellowship, but I'm curious what made you like decide to take the jump. Yeah, so I serve as a volunteer with a nonprofit that's also education focused and we're very very new and one of the things that we identified up front was that yes, we need community engagement, we need educator engagement, but we also need to understand how policy affects what we're trying to accomplish. And none of us on our team had any policy experience. And I've always been curious about it. And so when our ED sent me this information, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And it was a job that I saw valued people over profit. And at that time, I had done work in the corporate setting and academia, and it was all very profit driven. And it was a relief (laughs) to join IDRA. And like Jonathan mentioned, working in an environment that is almost entirely led by people of color and majority are women was really, really different and just a really encouraging change. So I'm just really grateful to have had this experience. And now I have this policy angle, but also some ideas on how I'd like to lead other organizations in the future because of what I've learned here. Really good to hear. And I'm very excited to see you running your own organization in the future. I do think it's really unique. You, Jonathan, Steve, all, even though you were education adjacent or educators, we're not policy like wonks, I would say. I know Deanna and Tuff have like a more historic, um, traditional intro to policy being policy students. And so Steve, I'd actually like it if you could share kind of what the fellowship experience was like from your perspective as someone who's not a traditional policy person, the structure and what that was like for you. Because I think there will be a lot of people who are interested in this fellowship who may not feel like it is, like they qualify because they're not policy people. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I loved how prior to really delving into the policy stuff, uh, this session in particular, the fellowship was prefaced, what we call like learning sessions, right? And many other resources as well, uh, supportive measures. But these sessions were for me in particular, and I'm sure for the others as well, they were instrumental in building our education policy foundation and knowledge base given that there's so many aspects and components of the policymaking process, which I believe the sessions gave me good grounding in understanding and developing my, my knowledge of as well. So as things move forward, when it came time to testify or setting up meetings with representatives and legislatures, working with coalition members, analyzing legislation and developing that skill, working with staff, and, you know, up to the point of view and like producing content which were our deliverables and feeling confident in that work. It was a no-brainer, you know, at that point because I had gained a lot of uh, knowledge and comfortability within during that process, right? But I, I certainly will say that prior to that, I felt <laughs> that it may have been uh, nerve-wracking as a fellowship, but definitely like having the support of the IDRA staff and working with everybody, um, they certainly helped me in that regard to develop that confidence and being confident in my work in the policy aspect and arena. Yeah, I think you're hitting on something that's really important. I, we do spend so much time trying to give you guys the context of things. And I do think looking forward, I'd, I'd like to focus more on the practice of the work that we do. Because I do actually think that it's something that just about anyone can do if they have the right time and the support to do it. But with that in mind, I also think there are just some things that are hard to learn until you're doing them. And legislative session feels like one of those things. Ruth, I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing like what it was like to learn about the legislature as it was happening. And then if the rest of y'all have a thought or anything to add on, I would love to hear that as well. But what was that like learning how to do it while you were doing it? The first eight weeks of the fellowship as Steve mentioned, is just learning sessions, right? And I started at ground zero with zero policy knowledge. And so going from zero to 100 in eight weeks is a very big challenge. And then going into session, I struggled a bit to figure out how everything I learned in the last eight weeks would be put into practice. And so it was very overwhelming, but after a while, I got used to the pace. And it's very fast paced because a lot of our work right now is just necessarily reactive. So I did a lot of listening and observing for the first part of session. There's definitely a kind of etiquette that you have to learn and you can only learn in person on the job. And so there's an etiquette to how you interact with coalition partners. There's an etiquette to how you interact with legislators that are supportive of your policy recommendations and a way to interact with those who are not very favorable towards your policy recommendations. And so I think that aspect is complicated, but not impossible to figure out. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you, you were probably the newest to this space, having been in corporate before. I mean, Jonathan has worked in the legislature before, even if not necessarily full-time policy. And I, and I think the others had some adjacency, but it was really cool to watch you come into your own and eventually even just like show down an incredibly hostile legislator. Like that's still something that I can't say that I've done. So 
I know that the curve was steep, but you surmounted it. So that was just really such an enjoyable part of this for me was to watch you build your confidence there. I would like to add one thing. I don't understand why both sides of the legislature have to look exactly the same, but that creates another level of complexity when you can't find the right hopper for the legislation that you are trying to find. So this is also one of those like learning moments for people who are new. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because I think that the actual learning the building is its own puzzle to figure out, speaking of etiquette. And then Texas, like kind of switching gears, is like three times the size of our capital. It is absolutely insane. Although their lunch prices are more affordable, I will say, than the Georgia cafeteria. So I do want to talk about the building, what it's like getting to know lawmakers, working with our coalition partners, because that is a huge part of our work. And Deanna, you did a lot of our coalition coordination in Texas, and I'd love to hear kind of what that was like for you. Yeah, I totally agree. The Texas Capitol, it's it's really amazing. <laughs> you have to schedule time accordingly in order to find the right room and everything. So I totally relate to that. And for me, working in the building, it was really powerful. I enjoyed meeting everyone that I work with and I learned from. I also really learned the importance of finding allies within the policy space. Like you mentioned, Michaela, building coalitions and forming partnerships with like-minded people and organizations it proved to be instrumental in advancing our shared goals. I think the most powerful thing or greatest thing that I'm proud of is being able to stop vouchers in the regular session here in Texas. And that could not have been done without our allies and all of our coalition members rallying up and testifying and creating research. And it was just an honor to be a part of that. So I think together we were able to navigate the complexities that that Ruth mentioned in the political landscape and foster change more effectively. So I'm super happy about that. Yeah, I think our partners are <laughs> partners are a big part of the work. And I, I think like those connections are really important. But I also think each of you, you kind of hit on it when you talked about like why you decided to to join the fellowship. But I'm curious, and I think other people will want to know you each brought certain knowledge, passions, expertise to the fellowship. And I'm curious, and I'd love for you to share, like, what did you see those things being when you came into the fellowship? And how did you see the expertise and the experience that you brought connecting with this work? And I know that was a big question, but how did you connect your prior experiences with this fellowship? And tough, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll come back to you. So. Like, as I stated earlier, I have a strong background on the school of prison pipeline slash nexus. And additionally, I have a background on culturally responsive and sustainable practices and restorative practices. And so I use those frameworks and knowledge often to navigate and assess bills and put my testimony together. And oftentimes not when I was reading bills or when I was listening to different committee sessions, you would hear politicians and people, different testifiers talk about these things, but not necessarily truly understand these things. So I try to bridge the gap by providing the legislative members with information like data and resources like articles and journals 
to help them to truly understand the essence of what they are talking about. Because oftentimes they're not, they were misguided on these different articles and information that was out there. Ruth, what about you? Something that, well, some things that I felt like I brought into this field was my experience as a second generation immigrant from the Asian American community, my experience as a parent and someone who's entering this work mid-career, and also my experience having lived overseas as a foreigner in a country where it was not my culture and not my language. So I understand very deeply what it's like to feel vulnerable and to feel powerless. And so these kinds of experiences really stood out as I was in the legislature and seeing how much of a minority I was and really wanting to bring knowledge and skills back from this experience to a variety of communities, particularly the multilingual community, so that they don't feel cut off, they don't feel isolated or vulnerable just because they don't have the expertise or the English-speaking skills to navigate this very inaccessible environment. And I hope that also it can pave the way for other parents to join because parents are also very close to the educational experience. They're going through it with their children, and they also know what's going on in the classroom and in the school districts that they're involved in. And so that that insider perspective can be really helpful. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we talk a lot about parent engagement and authentic family engagement. And I regularly found myself really grateful to have you on our team and just the perspective that you were able to give us so frequently. I really appreciated it. Jonathan, you are a whole educator, organizer, advocate in your own right. I hate to reduce all of that down for like a two minute summary of, of what you do, but You brought so much to this. How would you capture that for folks? I really believe in movement ecosystems. You know, I think we all have niches. Some of us are better in certain spaces than others. I know that the more traditional, like, nonprofit advocacy space is not where I personally thrive, especially not in policy spaces, lobbyist spaces. As a scholar of education, trained, who went to graduate school in curriculum, pedagogy, policy, like, I understand this world through that academic lens. I know that I'm very invested in being able to build infrastructure for ethnic studies, for bilingual education, through like independent grassroots organizing kind of initiatives that I've been building here in Atlanta the last few years. And so I I see myself as a dreamer and as an agitator and educator who applies, you know, the research that folks like IDRA do making sure that we can build infrastructure for it, to imagine it, to experiment with it, while we're also fighting in the policy space and creating our own spaces. I think that that's where I really live and thrive. But I think that being able to just understand how other parts of the ecosystem work in order to, to make sure that we break down those silos and bridge them together for victories in the movement, I think that that's been an important lesson for me, just have, getting more respect for folks like you, Michaela, especially, who do this work really well in the lobbying and policy space. But also, you know, I think that there's a lot to be learned from people who choose to work outside of the establishment, who push the establishment because we choose to say what we want to say, how we want to say it and push the envelope in ways that 
maybe it won't work for a 501c3, but it still helps to escalate and push the movement to be bolder also. So I think that that's kind of where I live and thrive and hope to keep working, but always nurturing like different parts of the ecosystem because we have the same goals. I think it was really cool that we practically had the entire like organizing cycle represented within your cohort. The five of you are such a cool encapsulation of like the different ways the movement should work. Yeah, Jonathan, I think that that was like, that stimulated so much growth for us, so many of us. And I think the five of you also found some really great collaborative space that I wish I'd gotten more of. I wish we could highlight more. I think that just comes from from what you each brought. Like you were all so uniquely different for this. I love that. Deanna and then Steve, if y'all could share a little bit, just like what you feel like you connected your previous experience with this work. Yeah, I think I mentioned it a couple of times before to separate members of, of the IDRE staff, but I've never seen my life come in full circles so much as this, these past like nine months. And I say that because I was an Edgewood grad in 2017. I attended Edgewood schools from pre-K all the way to 12th grade. When I learned that IDRA started because of that court case, that school finance court case that came out of my homeschool district, it was just an honor to even be a part of, of the organization. And I think I, I brought that unique perspective as a, as a recent grad and still seeing, you know, 50 years later, the inequities uh, that my, my school district had to endure and is still enduring. The voucher conversation wasn't new in Edgewood as well. So bringing in that perspective, you know, there was an experiment done in 1998 for a new voucher program in, in Edgewood. And we're seeing these conversations about a school choice legislation come up again. So that was really interesting to hear and be able to contribute. And then just my community, I wherever I go, I try to represent my community in the best way that I can. So I think me bringing that into this policy space where we've been, you know, shut down so many times and, and it can get kind of violent was really unique. And I'm really grateful that I, that I had this experience. Yeah, that was so uh, excellently said, uh, Deanna. And I think for me, as a huge advocate and a byproduct of interdisciplinary learning, I always sort of see the connections between so many different topics and just generally speaking. But then even moving forward beyond that, having led many different service-oriented organizations as well, um, having that background as well, right? So, for example, like I, I had many leading roles in communities and schools throughout undergrad, as well as like Habitat for Humanity, right? So those direct community engagement experiences were very foundational for me in working directly with the people that legislation impacts, right? Even beyond that, also having been a former educator as well and knowing what uh, my students like need to be successful in their educational journeys. Oftentimes I realized that, you know, a lot of lawmakers and policymakers as well were just uninformed about other aspects outside of academics that are so crucial for underserved and marginalized students to be able to have um, as part of what can make them successful throughout um, their time in schools. So I think all those experiences were very meaningful for me, but especially meaningful throughout this legislative session because I was able to uh, sort of tailor my work and my products in a way that it informed policymaking process and when I, whenever I delivered to different lawmakers' offices. Yeah, I think you've all hit on this. I find this work to be deeply personal. And so I really appreciate what y'all have shared. And I hope that those connections have just like made 
your next plans a little bit clearer. And I think a lot of folks are going to be curious, what are you doing next? And how do you feel like the fellowship helped you either narrow that down or completely change directions if that was the case? Or did it at all influence your decision on what you want to do next? Tough. What are you doing next? I actually will be starting my PhD this fall. And I really want to do my research on how students are experiencing schools and actually put student voices at the forefront of that. Like, I don't want to hear the teachers and the principals. I want to hear the students. And I want to put that forward. And I want to show how there's oftentimes or not, there's a misunderstanding between teachers and the communities that students are coming from. And so once you break that gap and build a better student-teacher relationship, I really hope to give students the dignity they deserve and help to show that students have voices and their voices matter and they should be treated like humans because human rights matter and students are ultimately who we are serving in school. And IDRA helps me to see that in a legislator because oftentimes the not the legislator tries to bring students from diverse backgrounds, but they try to tokenize certain students that only fit their narrative and oftentimes the not the pictures that they painted were incorrect. So bringing those was very important to me. I have no doubt that I will be citing you in the future, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Jonathan, what about you? Speaking of people I'm going to be citing in the future. So, you know, definitely excited to hear Tuff's plans, Dr. Tuff. Very excited for all of y'all's work. I'm going to keep doing work with Teaching for Change. I'm the program specialist for Teaching Central America. So kind of embedding Central American studies in K-16 through across the country but also just continuing to build infrastructure to teach, build curriculum, organize for ethnic studies education and bilingual education here in Georgia, where it doesn't exist yet, at least at a a systemic level. So that's something I'm going to keep doing, but also, you know, continuing to empower young people and families and teachers to agitate, to fight back against classroom censorship and, and for the schools and the society that we deserve to live in. I see myself as a movement educator. That's what I'm going to keep doing. And also catch me on New York Times bestseller and banned book lists in the near future. I fully expect number one New York Times bestseller. I will use you as my case study in my legislative advocacy. Deanna, how about you? What's next for you, Deanna? Yeah, I mean, I leave this fellowship with a solidified interest in in advocacy in the policy space, but also for students in higher education. I'm happy to be on the founding board of directors of a new, brand new baby nonprofit called Fierce Mujeres. We're a nonprofit organization that works to support first-generation Latina women so that they can get paid internships, scholarships, and just get them closer to their goals of being a Fierce Mujer. Yeah, and I just plan to stay engaged in policy and continue to to find my next role. I know that I'll be back in the policy space, so I'm really excited about that. I'm a little sad I won't get to run into you in our state capitals, but next time I visit Texas, I will keep an eye out for sure. Ruth, what about you? And then Steve, if you'll wrap us up with your next big plans. I will definitely continue to serve with 
the nonprofit Asian American Voices for Education. And now that I have this policy background and skill, I think we can strategize more effectively on how to bring comprehensive U.S. history into Georgia state standards. I have never been part of a team that really loved data and were like research nerds. And so this has this has affirmed me in so many ways. And something that I really want to do is get disaggregated AAPI data on students in Georgia, because there's a, there's a segment that is being overlooked and they deserve resources and attention and support. I am continuing to look for work that is advocacy related. And I am also planning my grad school kind of track at some point because I need to do research to write my next book, which my research angle I've just discovered in the last couple of months through my work at IDRA. I've been wanting to write this book forever, but I didn't know from which angle it was going to come from. So I'm really grateful for for my time and experience here. Steve, I'm please tell everyone about your interdisciplinary next plans because I think you will be my first person I know with all of the titles. Oh man, I'm I'm honored. I'm so honored by that. So yeah, coming into IDRA, coming to this fellowship, my research interests and and background as well were always at the intersection of education and health equity. And a lot of that was informed by working with students, but also working with uninsured and uh, marginalized patients as well, right, within clinical realms. And I think this fellowship definitely, um, for one, informed me that, you know, to be an advocate at, you know, my greatest capacity, I didn't necessarily need to be like a lawyer or, which I think was a huge misconception coming into this experience, right? And when I think about like fulfillment and where I see myself, especially my role, and wanted to continue to better my community and better, you know, people that need access in avenues that they don't have. I'm very much fulfilled in, in pursuing, continuing to pursue an education that will allow me to be able to do that, right? So I'm looking into a dual degree uh, medicine and policy programs moving forward. So that's where I will be. As far as policy, it'll be still within education or public policy, um, but education related, if that's where things move forward. And then uh, with medicine as well, continuing to empower patients and uninsured uh, communities in their health journeys, which I'm very passionate about as well. So that's where I'll be in the next coming months or years. I cannot wait. Yeah, it looks like everybody is headed to grad school lands, but y'all heard it here first. Dr. Kim Gang, Dr. Tuff, we have been so honored to get to be part of the journey and are so grateful for the work and advocacy and learning that you've brought to our space. I think even though your title was fellows, I think there's not a single person on staff who doesn't see you as our our full colleagues and has learned so much from each one of you. I am so sad to have y'all leave. I, I know that we will continue to be colleagues in this work in whatever shape that takes, but thank y'all for taking the time to talk with us about this and share it with everyone else. I am also in denial. <laughs> I can't believe it's been nine months, but I appreciate the time y'all have given us. And we are so excited for your next big adventures and grateful to have been part of this one. Thank you all so much. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. 
For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.